Hey, thanks for tuning in. Today we are going to listen to a re-release of a recording I did with Andy Crestodina. He is the CEO of Orbit Media. They are a multi-million dollar web design agency out of Chicago. And he's also the uh, author of a book called Content Chemistry, which is a killer textbook on all things you want to know about content marketing. And I'm re-releasing it because it's one of the top downloads for 2021. Um, And I hope you enjoy it. Also, I want to tell you about a new white paper that I just released called What Does a Digital Marketer Do? It's got the top 12 skills that you need to be successful in digital marketing in 2021 listed in order of importance. So they're ranked. You can get that at ericschwartzman.com forward slash essential skills. Again, that's the What Does a Digital Marketer Do? white paper. It's available for download uh, with the 12 essential skills that you'll need to be successful in digital marketing in 2021. And you can download it at ericschwartzman.com forward slash essential skills. So, Andy, welcome. And once again, you wrote in your book, the best content doesn't win, but the best promoted content wins, which I guess means if you build it, they ain't coming, right? right. There's no field of dreams in content marketing. <laughs> no, there is not. Uh, you just mentioned the New York Times. One of my examples when I explain that is that uh, the New York Times does not have a list of the best books. They have a list of the best selling books. It's, those aren't the best books in the world. Those are the, that's a sales list. So certainly that's one of a thousand examples of how um, we can begin to understand the importance of content promotion. Um, and to your opening point, I mean, ideas, how are ideas promoted? How do things spread? Why does, something, why does one thing perform better than another? Part of it is certainly the topic, the piece itself, the format, the quality of the content. But our jobs as digital marketers is always uh, at least as much about promoting content as it is creating it. Um, so yeah, this is going to be a fun conversation. It, it can relate so, to the. So let's frame it. So let me tell you about about what I think my audience is and correct me if I'm wrong guys, but my background is public relations. I sort of came to this world from the, the PR world. So even though I am a digital marketer today in the true sense of content marketing and SEO and email marketing and, and the whole kit cat and caboodle that comprises uh, online uh, uh, lead generation, conversion, that whole thing, um, a lot of people in this thing today is, um, uh, are coming at this from, from public relations. So before we get into it, I wanted to bring up a chart from your book. and. Okay talk us through it because I thought it was, you know, there's so many great analogies and charts in the book. So let me bring this one up here. It's the first one that I want to share. And this is sort of the analogy here, if you can see it, is a funnel, which mm-hmm. is often what's used in digital marketing. And you've sort of broken it down in terms of stages and what type of content works at what stage. Mm-hmm. So why don't you walk us through this? Sure. The concept is this, uh, and this is an old concept, but everything that you've ever bought or signed up for uh, or cause you've donated to whatever the action was that you took you had to first become aware of that thing you became interested you needed you considered it you needed some trust you had to believe that this was a good option before you finally took action so everyone in our audiences are hopefully you know at first problem aware and then solution aware and then brand aware before they can act so uh, this aligns with uh, ask, with reports in Google Analytics. This aligns with key phrases people search for in Google. This aligns with uh, the psychology of everyone at every point in every decision that they're going to make online. So yeah, um, we must first be aware of something and then consider it before we can pull the trigger and take an action, whether it's to apply for a job, register for a webinar, um, donate to a cause, uh, sign up for uh, updates. Yeah, so this is um, at, without it was it wasn't until I understood this deeply that I was able to really drive good results through digital. So you're saying basically the first stage or the top of the funnel, often people call that tofu, mm-hmm. top of funnel, uh, mm-hmm. is the awareness stage. And, and you wrote 
audience seeks general information about the industry or the category of products or service. So if you would translate that into what type of content you would be creating if you wanted to connect with somebody at the awareness stage. Well, suppose I know that I need something. Something happens in my life. There's a true story in the life of every one of our audience members. Something happens in my life that makes me realize I need that thing. Here's a simple example. Feels trivial in the context of you know, this moment in modern history, but I'm in my garage. It's a, there's a pile of stuff. I need, I, I, I need to organize this. I have no place to put it. I need like a storage unit in my garage, a place to put these, you know, a couple of tools, a couple of kids toys. I'm suddenly problem aware. What is a good way to do this? I go search. I have to, now I'm, I'm, I'm looking for information, DIY information. You know, can I just hang a board and with hooks on it? Are there, um, can I solve my own problem myself? Uh, what is, what are the options here? Cabinets, uh, uh, you know, hooks is covered, all the different things that I could do. I have to first, I'm, I'm researching the problem. I end up on some websites and now I'm becoming solution aware, right? This is, these are all the different possible ways to do it. Expensive ways, simple ways, uh, difficult ways, custom ways out of the box. So I'm basically in a funnel right now. Uh, and uh, it might, I might be in this funnel for weeks before I finally decide to do something about my messy garage. So yeah, uh, all of our audiences first seek general information. Then they have questions, concerns about that industry, that service, that product. Then I get into my specific questions. You know, if I do this one, do I have to install it myself? Are they going to deliver it? Do I have to be home when they deliver it? And then finally I'll take action and either get you know, a service for some kind of custom thing, which sounds expensive, or just buy a product and have it shipped. So uh, the, this, with this in mind, there's content that answers questions that works for, that creates awareness. There are sales pages that build trust that improve consideration. Then there's the call to action and the contact form or the e-commerce checkout process that guides them through the action. So different things that we do have different abilities to strengthen weak links in this chain toward creating actual demand. Oh, you're muted. Thanks, thanks for that. So as you're considering, um, you know, as you're trying to prioritize, you know, what to attack first, do you start at the bottom and work up? Normally, yes. My recommendation for most brands is to fix leaks in the bucket before you put more water in. If there's a problem, I'll give you an example from yesterday. This company that makes sports equipment, it's kind of an expensive thing. It's like a $5,000 fitness device. They have a financing button on their site where you can learn how to get financing if you want it, if you can't pay for it all at once. But when you enter the site, but when you go to shop for it, there's no financing information. We can make more money for them almost immediately by putting the answer to the question, how can I pay for this, into the part of the process where the question pops into their mind. It's $5,000. So by that gap of not having, so that's an example of how you can optimize for demand, optimize for conversion, starting at the bottom of the funnel. Anyone's website, you can almost immediately create more demand by figuring out how to answer those final questions at the end of the process. Is there confusion? Are there good calls to action? Does your contact form look too greedy? You do not have faces or trust in that last step of the process. Uh, so yeah, I would recommend starting at the end and then working backwards because there might be people on your contact form right now. You don't need more traffic. You need to build a good mousetrap before you invest in cheese. Explain us, you know, if you would at a high level, why is content marketing important? Wow. Well, if you have no content, no helpful, useful articles on your, in your, on your platform, then you are one of those early 2000 era websites where your site is just a brochure. It's just a digital brochure. A website without content marketing is simply a downloadable sales page. It, your, your website is just an advertisement, which I just said it's important to optimize that advertisement first, but then, yeah, you need cheese for the mousetrap because mice are not inherently attracted to mousetraps. But you're saying that product pages and um, uh, service pages, those aren't content? That's not traditional content marketing. Content marketing would normally be considered the helpful, useful, or entertaining articles that you put out into the world to attract an audience, build loyalty, 
get followers and subscribers and links that benefit your search rankings. Uh, the conversion copy, the sales pages on your website, technically, yes, that's content. But when people talk about content marketing, they're talking about normally the blogs, videos, webinars, podcasts, social content, newsletters. It's the it's that uh, mini version of Wikipedia. It's that helpful stuff that you put out in the world. Of course, you need to have a good website that, that sells your stuff. But uh, content marketing is that other section on your site. It, and Jay bears, and you, you and I both know Jay. You know, it's the, it's, the website is the hype. The content marketing is the help. So, you know, in your book, you have this great analogy uh, about a boat. And mm. you use the boat analogy to talk about the different types of traffic that come to a website. So I'm going to bring it up and hopefully you can talk us through that. Sure. We're using a lot of analogies. I love that you're showing the book this way. Okay. It works like this. Uh, traffic is when the boat moves forward. Some boats just move forward. They're just famous brands. You can see there's down in the bottom right corner. There's like a branding arrow that points to the right famous brands. People look for, they just get word of mouth. Everyone already knows about them. And they, in the analytics, they'll have lots of direct traffic. Basically people just going to the website, but for the rest of us on non-famous brands, you have through content, three ways to move to drive traffic. Uh, and then there's paid. So the three ways that content marketers, the three classic channels for content marketing traffic are search, social, and email. This diagram explains how search is a very unique source of traffic because pages that rank in search will get traffic all day long without um, uh, additional effort. Google, people search for that, that page ranks, People click on it, you have a visitor. Uh, on the other hand, email and social are activity-based traffic sources. You have to keep rowing. You get your back hurts, you get blisters on your hands. You got, if you're sending a lot of, you know, doing social media marketing or doing email marketing, the results from those, the traffic generated from those are much less durable. They're going to last for an email, you might get traffic for a week. Social media, you might get traffic for a few days from a specific post. But search is magical and powerful because if uh, a page ranks for a phrase, it's likely to keep ranking from that phrase for, I could show you examples of years. So uh, th this, you know, this, uh, every, and another way to say it is, every page on your site has a chance to catch traffic, just like a sale catches wind. So that, um, and then paid, of course, sure, buy, buy some gas, throw it in the tank. <laughs> it's possible, anyone can get traffic right away, quickly, albeit temporarily. Uh, by doing um, paid advertising. Um, talk to us about the relationship of content marketing to email marketing. Hmm. Well, you publish a piece of content, it goes live. It's sitting now ready for visitors on your, on your site. Email marketing is a channel for promoting that piece of content. So in most examples for most brands, you publish a piece of content, email is one of the ways in which you drive traffic to it rather than put the full text of the new thing you made into an email, which is normally a problem because it's not gonna drive any traffic. It's a problem because the person might've loved it, but then they delete it, right? It's not, going to, um, it's not going to be measurable in analytics whether or not they read it, right? You only get email metrics, open rates, click-through rates, deliverability. But if the email is sent with a subject line and a teaser text that has a call to action to come back and visit the website, and if you track that click through Google, through um, uh, campaign tracking code, email is an amazing source of traffic. In fact, email is a uniquely powerful source of traffic because it is the only channel where there's not a giant for-profit company in between you and your audience. Face, email marketing is disintermediation. There's no, you don't, have, you don't have Facebook or Google in between. Someone gives you their email address, you're not permission to market to them directly. Email is not a, proprietary thing. It's like a internet protocol. So yeah, every serious marketer I know is just obsessed with growing their email list because it's your best chance at controlling your destiny in the long run. You own your domain, your website, your, your content, and your email list. You don't own your likes or your rankings. So um, you just mentioned, you know, that you can track the traffic mm -hmm. uh, from your, your emails mm -hmm. uh, if, you, if you do the link correctly. And I'm putting into the chat a tool that you can use to do that called Campaign Builder. It's a free tool. You basically just put the website URL in, you specify the source, the medium, and the name, 
and then it generates a tracking link. And then if you put that link in your email, you can then see in your Google Analytics who clicked through from that and what page they went to. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you, and probably this is just a basic question. I, I've never been able to figure it out. Is, do I, is there, do you have to do this manually or are there plugins or tools that you can use to generate these tracking codes for you? And if so, what are they? If you're doing tracking campaign, these are these, this tracking code is called UTM parameters. Uh, those can be added to links automatically if you, for social media posts. If you're using one of the paid sources, paid tools like Hootsuite, a paid version of Hootsuite, or I don't know, CoSchedule, um, what are the other ones? Agora Pulse. Uh, yes, you can set those tools up to automatically add parameters to every link you put in social media. Now, traffic from social media, you'll see whether you drove that traffic through your social posts or whether it came organically as earned media from someone else sharing your, sharing your stuff. Because when they share it, it won't let they have that link in it. Uh, for email, I think you got to do it manually because the campaign name, there's three, there's three things, source, medium, and name. The campaign name is something you really need to name yourself. You wouldn't want that generated dynamically because you might want to call that, you know, COVID announcement email or spring sale or, you know, summer fundraising gala. Because when, whatever you put in that field for campaign name is what shows up in your Google Analytics. So if you use a tool that just automatically dynamically made a name for you, analytics might not be as meaningful. It might be just like a, spring, a string of numbers. But you find that when you generate these tracking links for, a, for an article or an email, the only thing that changes is the link and the, the source, medium, and name typically stay same for all links in that one piece. I would so know. I'm surprised. I think it's a business opportunity to, to develop some sort of a tool that at least semi-automates it. Well, the name should be different each time. You wouldn't want the same email, every email to have the same campaign name. But every link in the same email would have. Oh, yes, correct. Name. So, so, but right now you have to manually generate each one, you know, it's like, a, for example, if I'm guest blogging for Orbit Media mm -hmm. and, and we come up with the post, we agree on it. I'm going to go ahead and put tracking codes in the links that I, of the document I send you. I'm going to have mm -hmm. to manually do it, different links. <laughs> I'll just put uh, the source, medium, and name for that article will not, will not change. But I may have four or five links in there. I have to do them all manually. I just yeah. was wondering if there was some tool out there that auto-generated them, but I guess there's not. No, I don't know of one. Uh, we have our own campaign tracking code, which uh, URL builder, uh, which is a little bit nicer than most because it forces everything to be lowercase. It automatically substitutes lowercase letters, which is important because the analytics won't show you. Um, it'll show you different cases. Also, it previews the, the campaign report. Um, I'll share it with you someday. But yeah, use campaign tracking code. Uh, by the way, if you wanted to track traffic from a guest post back to your site, uh, you mostly get that anyway without campaign tracking code from your referral report, referral traffic report. Um, but it's really nice to have everything in your campaign reports. We are talking to Andy Christodina. He is the author of Content Chemistry and the co-founder of Orbit Media. And um, he's been doing this since 2001. Um, interesting thing about you, Andy, is that you're not just a marketer, you also are a designer. Because you guys are a web design shop and that's always, that's often a crutch for communicators is because we don't do visual communications. We communicate primarily, you know, with spoken word. Although, you know, some of us make videos or podcasts or those type of things. We don't, we don't do the art side of things. <laughs> and, and as you say mm -hmm. in your book, you know, optimizing your site, where you put things, the colors of the social media icons, where they go, all that matters, right? So you sort of bring both sides together, both the visual aesthetic side and the digital marketing side. It does. If I, um, but I am really just doing drafts these days. If you want, I could share my screen and you could see the extent to which I go to uh, create. Okay, awesome. sure. Uh, here's a, uh, if you grant me access, I'll show you just super quick. Now I shouldn't have to grant you access. You're a panelist. Host, oh, you got to promote me. Host has disabled attendee screen sharing. Where do I, how do I do that? <laughs> I'm not sure. It's probably okay, not hold important. On. Let me, I'm just going to make you the host. Yeah, you, know, you can make people host, basically. I'm going to make you the host. Oh, you, you launched a poll, maybe. Did I launch cool. a poll? I can, I can share a screen now. Okay. 
Okay, so this is an example. In fact, I'll show you on, a, on an even better piece. Um, Re-update, uh, or rather, let's look at um, the latest post. My template for promoting, for creating content is one of the higher value things that, um, uh, that I could share with you. This is uh, data-driven empathy, get ready for the rebound, content strategies. Uh, how about this one? I wrote an article called, What is Thought Leadership Marketing? Now, if I were to, uh, as I planned this piece, I did a lot of work to plan the, uh, the promotion of it. So I'm doing everything in Google Docs. I have a template that I use in Google Docs to um, plan the promotion, research keywords, write the email copy, write social media posts while I'm creating the content. So you'll see this in a second. That sounds very economical. It's, it's a huge time saver. But your specific question about creating content, here's an article, probably go live next week. The perfect B2B service page, a 13-point checklist. Formatting, questions, it's scannable. But I'm not going to go make every image. I, make a, I do it, you know, here's low-value uh, subheads. Here's compelling subheads, how to, how to make better pages by being specific in your subheads. I just make that, and the designer will go improve it. I just make this and the designer will go improve it. Examples of a great video testimonial, examples of a text-based testimonial, stock photo. So this is so I'm done with this article and the designer will redraw everything. The um, but the more broadly, what I'm doing is I create content. Here's an article about what is thought leadership. I'm researching key phrases in advance. I always put the date when I did the key phrase research because I'll come back to this someday. I write the title, the meta description, plan the URL in advance. I find all the semantically related topics prior to writing. And as I write, I make sure to include some of them, cross them off the list. I plan internal linking while I'm writing. My email newsletter copy, which I must have not put in this case, who I included, who I reached out to, who actually gave me a contributor quote, uh, writing tweets in advance. And then here's three or four different possible headlines. And then here's the article. Would you maybe test those uh, headlines? Uh, not normally. Uh, it probably would be effective. I think the best way to promote or to, to validate the effectiveness of an email subject line um, is to plan it, uh, is to share those possible subject lines in social media first. Um, how to write a headline. My, uh, as far as headlines go, I'm, I always try to kind of, Disabuse people of the notion that there's one headline. Every article has a header, a title tag, email subject lines, social media posts, and each of these should be engineered basically for traction in that channel or wherever it appears. So there isn't one headline. These are headers technically. This is the email subject line. This is the uh, title tag. So this one should be no more than 60 characters. It has to use the key phrase. This one, has to have the most powerful words in the first five words because the mobile inbox will truncate after 40 characters. No need to include key phrases, 100% psychology. This one here data shows that it should be 15 words. <laughs> it gets more shares and likes if it gets 15 words. It's gonna look better in social. So yeah, we are very deliberately pre-promoting or building things with uh, every opportunity. Like here I'm mentioning people, getting quotes from people, uh, all these things have to be redesigned later or redrawn later. So the final piece, what is thought leadership, was optimized to rank for what is thought leadership marketing for which it does not currently rank yet. It's at the top of page two, I think. This is a very competitive phrase. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not even ranking for that at all. But in analytics, I could tell you, here I'm, uh, I'm on the... Um, Acquisition, here's the campaign tracking for that. How well did the subject line do? January 1st, here's all the traffic from all of the campaigns we've sent. Every spike is an email. So the one about thought leadership. I'll just filter to find that one quickly. Here's the article about thought leadership. 853 visits, bounce rate of 83%, pages per session 1.25. Uh, conversion rate from visitor into subscriber, for example, was 0.37%, five newsletter subscribers. So that's uh, another relationship then of email 
uh, marketing to the content is that you can use the content to generate a email subscriber. And that's what you're sure. showing us here is that we're seeing oh, okay. 0.37% of the people who visited the page filled out the subscription form, right? Who visited the page specifically from email in this case, which seems strange. Those people must have gotten the email forwarded from someone else because ah. these are, this is traffic from email. And that they subscribed from email from the email means that they got forwarded the email. But, this, but here, goals, goals overview. So as long as your analytics is set up such that you are, you are um, look, our site converts a lot of people. Uh, let me go to a shorter date range. We have a high conversion rate. I've done many years of conversion optimization. So the last month, May, conversion rate was 0.57% for all goals. Newsletter subscribers from the blog main page or footer, 250. Newsletter subscribers from the sticky blog footer, 280. That's this down here. So the, the part of the job is to look at the calls to action and ask yourself, could I improve this somehow? I get hypotheses. Hypotheses are testable. If I, if I change this somehow, um, I want to measure the impact of that. I would just simply check the conversion rate before and after. That led to 250 subscribers last month, conversion rate of 0.2. Maybe if I change this word, right? Join the X number of people who get, you know, web marketing tips, practical tips, analytics advice, you know, maybe if I remove this distraction, maybe if I tighten it up, maybe if I change this headline here, maybe if I put a quote from a happy subscriber, so this is digital, right? That's classic digital marketing. And every subscriber is a chance to drive traffic without having that, that intermediary of Google or Facebook. Um, we are all sort of obsessed with uh, email traffic because like a financial portfolio, it's not very healthy if all of your traffic, look, I'll show you with a pie chart, month of May, 79% of our traffic came from search. Email was, 3,200 3, visitors, 0.325%, a little bit risky. That's great. Hey, do you share that template anywhere, that content template that you uh, shared with us? I sure do. Web content template is, uh, we rank number one for that. Will Search for web content. The, put that in the, in the chat if you would. It's this big button here at the top. Search awesome. for web content template. I and, definitely uh, want that. Yeah, I'll stop sharing my screen here for now. I don't mean to. So, so it's interesting. So, you know, I set this up by saying we were going to talk about content promotion. And basically what you're showing us is that, you know, the content promotion is part of the content creation process. It's not like you create the content and then promote it. You're creating the promotional content at the same time. Without question. It, there, that is what a lot of people, uh, it takes a little while to figure that out but it is a mistake to create a piece of content and then think about how to promote it. Uh, the pre-promotion, the, the building promotable content. So for example, if your content didn't include contributor quotes, then it wasn't collaborative and you don't have many opportunities to, in, you know, to reach out, to mention people in social posts. You can't retrofit it for keywords later. You gotta build it for that. You know, you, the, if you didn't include images or initial diagrams, some kind of chart, it's really hard to mention that content when you contribute to other people's articles, right? So there are a hundred little things that if you don't do them while you create the content, you have a much more difficult time promoting it later on. Um, so let's talk about which of the promotion channels, you know, work best. Is it always different depending on the content or are there, are there some more, more reliable methods for content promotion? I love this question. It's my obsession, actually. Search versus social. Let's say search versus social and email. Put a social and email together because the psychology of a visitor in their inbox and in a social stream are sort of similar. The psychology of a visitor in search, very different. Search versus social. Content that works in search tends to be content that answers people's questions. Content that works in social is content that's like a little bit unexpected. You're trying to meet expectations in search. You're trying to be unexpected in social media. People in search are very busy. People in social are a little bit bored. So look at the content, look at the headline. And then you can almost, it's a job of the content strategist. Like you get a feel for it. 
is this going to have a natural advantage in search? Because it answers a question, it's super long and detailed, it's, it's, uh, it's gonna meet expectations. Or will this work better in social? Because it's kind of visual, it's a little bit provocative, it triggers an emotion, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's very collaborative, it has a lot of people in it. So yeah, you can build the thing to work in search or in social, or some topics are natural advantages to work in search or in social. Um, some content doesn't have any keyword opportunities. It's like, like, um, like we did a piece recently, coronavirus, how to get ready for the rebound. No one's searching for that. What, what is the key phrase you would use? You know, that worked, it did beautifully in email. I would, I would think that new normal would be the phrase for that. Well, it's not describing, it's interesting. It's not describing the new normal. It didn't, I didn't find a keyword opportunity. You know, marketing in the new normal or COVID rebound marketing. I didn't, it didn't, um, some content, you know, just is not that relevant at, to search. In which case, just write what you want. Relaunch, relaunch, or, you know, re entering or something about, you know, post COVID product launch, that type of thing. Because I would think that that is probably going to be a hot, a competitive keyword. It, it might. I didn't find any traction on any of those phrases. Interesting. Uh, so instead, I just wrote what I wanted to write. I made it the best okay. article I could make. So it's one thing that PR people, I think, um, it's useful uh, for a PR pro to remember that not everything has to have keywords in it. Not everything is something people are looking for. A lot of stuff, just write what you want to write. You are free. <laughs> I think that journalists got angry when the editor came into the newsroom and said, oh, you got to throw keywords in everything. No, you don't. Only if it's something someone's searching for and not everything is being searched for. So yeah, there's, there's uh, only maybe half of our articles are optimized for search and they do beautifully well. Other content, get out the oars, <laughs> row the boat. Let's, let's get a little deeper into content for different types of businesses. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about like, you know, impulse buys, snack foods, fast food, flip-flops mm -hmm. versus considered purchases, a car, insurance, you know, a law, a law firm or B2B. Mm -hmm. um, do you find that um, content marketing doesn't play as much of a role with the impulse purchase? I do find that because it's, it's, that's about the moment. I mean, what content marketing is about education mostly, and you don't need to be educated to decide whether or not to buy Oreo cookies. It's not as much of a consider. It's not, I mean, it may be, there may be applications for it. Um, it's not as much my area of expertise. There might be other marketers that have a better answer for you, Eric. Uh, I anybody, do know anybody on the, uh, anybody on the call want to talk to us about that? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, what about B2B content marketing? Is B2B content marketing different or is it basically just easier because they're niche terms? Uh, I think a better distinction is to question whether or not this is a high consideration decision that requires research or whether it's a low consideration decision that's more of an impulse. So B2C, B2B, it depends. I mean, I mentioned a second ago, I might be spending $1,000 for a storage system for a garage. Yeah, I'm gonna think about that for a while. I'm gonna look at some options. I gotta really, you know, that's a high consideration thing. I'm gonna to talk to my wife. On the other hand, there's B2, and that's B2C. On the other hand, there's B2B decisions like reordering paper clips, you know, or is this a good SD card? Uh, I'm gonna make that decision in five minutes. So there's low consideration B2B, there's high consideration B2C. So more important is like, how much, is, are there multiple decision makers? Is it a long sales process? Is it, does it require a lot of education where the visitor or the prospect has some anxiety? Like they're afraid they're gonna make the wrong decision. How, much, how important is trust? How many, how many factors are there in, in, in deciding? How many unanswered questions does the visitor need to have answered before they'll buy or become a lead? So yeah, I think it's um, uh, huge differences and content's more important when there is a longer funnel. There's middle of funnel, right? Skittles, there's no middle of the funnel. I'm gonna buy Skittles right now or I'm not. So if we made like a, a graph, I'm thinking the Y axis, let's say is um, digital at the top, analog at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And the X axis is let's say impulse versus considered, mm -hmm. right? Does that, yeah. could, could you use that type of a plot as a model 
to figure out where people go and whether or not they should, how much digital marketing they should be doing based on the level of consideration? Yeah, that's, that's a, so digital analog on the side and across the bottom, it's high or low consideration. Or even a two by two, you know? You yeah, yeah. Like two by two, like cross like that. And Love I wonder it. if in the four quads, you know, if you could say, oh, wow, the, the BDC goes here, BDB. No, it's not based on that. It's based on consideration. Yeah. You know, I'm just trying to think in my head, how would you build a model that would help people figure it out? It's, it's uh, I like the way you think. It's vi that type of visual thinking lends itself very well to content marketing. So Eric, I can see why you're a pro at this. Uh, the analog is interesting because there aren't as many inbound channels in analog, right? There's not search or social email for analog. Analog is mostly out of home. It's direct mail. It's cold calling. It's outdoor, you know, so uh, it, you're going to find, I mean, analog lends itself much better to um, advertising than it does to content marketing. Or to McDonald's. Sure. But, you know, I have noticed on Waze, now this is paid, obviously, so that's mm -hmm. not considered, wouldn't be considered content marketing. But uh, I have noticed on Waze, I do get uh, Carl's Jr. ads popping up as I'm passing by. Mm -hmm. So it's creeping in, I, you know. I don't, I haven't really seen it in maps really with impulse purchases, but hotels obviously starting to market through app uh, maps and, and geo data and that type of thing. Yeah. That's fun. That'd be fun to workshop that one. Like well, that, I like that two by two. Talk to me about uh, maybe we should do a post. Maybe I should uh, write a post for your blog about it. You should definitely write a post for our blog about anything you want. I'd love to have you on the site. Awesome. I'm going to write that post for you. You guys all witnessed it here. Um, okay, let's talk about um, content distribution. So what about like syndication? Right now, we're live streaming this on YouTube Live, mm -hmm. Facebook Live, mm -hmm. LinkedIn Live, and we're on Twitter via Periscope. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I'll take the video and I'll put it on my YouTube channel. I might even put some cool little graphics in there and make it real spicy and edit it a little bit. And then I'll pull the audio and distribute that as a podcast. And that'll be available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Um, so that's how I'm going to syndicate this content through, through channels. I'll probably also write a blog post about it. Mm -hmm. How can you syndicate something like a white paper mm -hmm. or something like a microsite or even a blog post? Mm -hmm. We just did a piece called 76 Ways to Drive Traffic to Content and it lists all of the ways. Everything you just mentioned is on there. Uh, it is a exhaustive article that lists every possible way to promote a piece of content. Syndication in digital normally refers to just taking something and putting it somewhere else. Not as much repurposing or re reimagining that thing like to, I mean, if you take this and make it a podcast, that is turning it and transforming it into a new format, an audio only format, which is brilliant, right? They say cope create once, promote everywhere. You're doing that beautifully right now. This is happening. But syndication, normally what they mean is just, you basically copy and paste that blog post or white paper into LinkedIn, and now it has new life. Or into Medium, and now it has new life. Or if you're a columnist for some place and they accept that format, you just copy and paste it into that, that place. Or uh, there's other places to converge. Converge is a, is a, a platform for this. Uh, you can copy and paste a part of an article into Quora. If that part of the article answers a question, you're syndicating that section of the website of the, of the article. This is syndication. Um, SEOs get panicked about this because they say, oh, duplicate content is bad. Not true. Duplicate content is fine. There's no confusion in Google. If this disappears in more than one place, it's not a problem. So yeah, I highly recommend syndication. Uh, I have a virtual assistant that takes old articles after they've had a good life on our site and basically put copies and paste them into LinkedIn uh, to give them new life on that platform in front of a new audience. So you put the entire article uh, as a, as a story or mm -hmm. an article rather on LinkedIn. Yeah. Copy and paste it, it. It, the WYSIWYG works beautifully. It just goes, it's the easiest thing, a better way to do it. And I'm, she may be doing it this way. I'd have to check is to publish is to repost just like half of it and then have a call to action to go read the full post on your site campaign track that link. Yeah. You want, you, you, ideally you want traffic, right? Where there's traffic, there's hope. You're trying to get people onto your site where there's conversion on your website. No one can, can, no one can turn into a newsletter subscriber 
on LinkedIn for me, right? They're just on LinkedIn. But you could argue that um, after the article has run its course for the most part on your site, at that point, you know, it's a thought leadership exercise. And rather than, you know, trying to entice people to click through, you're just looking to build your brand as a thought leader in your space by posting it to Medium or, or LinkedIn. Yep. It will I get, know a it, lot of people who do that sure. and don't put the, you know, the, the read more link back to their own site. In, in other words, it, it has value even if no one clicks, which is definitely true. You don't right. generate visitors, doesn't matter. In other words, you value eyeballs above, above clicks. That's great, right? It's still valuable to your brand if people see that content on that other platform. So 76 ways to mm -hmm. drive content, drive traffic to content, that's a lot of ways. There's quite a few. I gotta think you've got some preferences. So I do. give me your top three for driving traffic to content. Search, because a keyword focused article will drive traffic in a very durable way, which we've said. Email, because traffic from email is traffic that you have better control over. You're less beholden to digital monopolies, Facebook, Google, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, and then I also really think that it's, it's uh, it just interlinking between your articles. Why is Wikipedia such a click hole? Why do you spend four hours as soon as you go to Wikipedia? I was recently, like, I, I spent an hour reading the history of race riots, like hundreds of years. Why was that, why did I fall so deep into Wikipedia? Internal linking. <laughs> Internal linking is a lost art. I'll give you one, one example. You publish a new article. Everyone knows articles should link to other articles, so your article links to five other things on your website. But what not everyone knows is that when you publish something new, you should link to it from something old. So take your high traffic articles on your site and look for opportunities to link from those to your new piece of content, right? So your ideal is to take your high traffic pieces and connect them to your high conversion pieces. Put your best cheese on your best mousetraps. You can, you can drive lots of conversions, newsletter subscribers, any goal you want by simply creating an internal link from a page that gets lots of quality visitors to a page that's very compelling and turns visitors into subscribers. So um, for those of you on the call that use a platform uh, to manage your content called WordPress, you may also know that there's a popular uh, plugin that people use to uh, search optimize or to implement search engine optimization on pages after they've done the research. And uh, that tool is called Yoast. And Yoast has in the bottom right a um, feature which suggests internal pages that you should link to. Too. Mm -hmm. how, do you like that feature? Is that how you figure out what to do internal links? Is that any good? Do you use Yoast for internal linking? Not for internal linking. Uh, if in the long run, and the way that the book came about is to think in advance about all of your content fitting together in an interconnected network. So while you're writing the piece, it'll come to mind. Oh, I should refer to this from that other article. You know, you make a new image for your article. Oh, I should also put this image on that older post. That older post can now link back to my newer post in the image source link. So no, it, it, it comes to mind naturally. I've never used Yoast for that purpose. Yoast is a beautiful snippet preview tool. While you write, it shows you the character limits of title tags and, and URLs and meta descriptions. Uh, I don't really use it for much beyond that. Um, let's have a meta discussion about this discussion. So I want to SEO this interview with you. What keyword should I SEO it for? Well, the ideal keyword would be one for which your website or the site where it's published has sufficient authority. So if, you're, you know, if your site doesn't have millions of links to it, you can't really target super valuable, super popular key phrases. So I would probably lean toward a five or six word key phrase. Dude, uh, what do you think, man? You don't think I have any juice? Is that what you're no, saying? My, well, none of us do compared to media sites. If you put this on a major mm -hmm. media publication, like let's say this was a guest post for Jay Bear's site or something, Domain Authorities in the 70s, or you're writing for HubSpot, Domain Authority okay. in the 90s. Okay. Uh, you know, I've done link building for literally 20 years and my Domain Authority is 61. Okay. Like, I, I still can't target, you know. I, we looked at that phrase a second ago. I wasn't ranking. Why not? It's not the content. That's a, that's a 3,000 word piece of original research. 
got 480 marketers to answer. <laughs> that's, a, that's a deep piece of content. Why wasn't I ranking? It's not a relevance problem. It's an authority problem. So yeah, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's an art, keyword research. And the first step is to understand your authority versus the keyword difficulty. So you could, you could target phrases like uh, content promotion tactics for PR. You might win for that next week. That sounds like an easy one. Yeah, it's way better. You know, we don't have the whole, we can't wait two years to rank for something. It's just way too hard. Build up your authority slowly over time while targeting there longest keepers. You're on the call two weeks from now. I want you to search, what was it? Content marketing. Uh, content promotion strategies for PR or content okay. promotion tactics. Maybe content promotion tactics for PR. If you're listening to the podcast, I want you to search that and, and see. Because if you're listening to the podcast, you, we probably did this two, three weeks ago, and you can test and see if it worked. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this. Uh, this I love account. it, Eric. This is great. Yeah, that's like here. the ch the throwdown. Like, hold me accountable. Go search for the phrase. Okay, uh, how do you do content marketing and content promotion on a budget? Well, one of the beauties of content is that it doesn't take out of pocket spend. I mean, advertising is fast and temporary, costs money. Content marketing is slow but durable and it only takes time. I, I don't have a budget for content marketing. I write you one article. Budget. I'm the budget. Yeah, I have one full-time marketer. I'm about a half-time marketer. I have clients and I have to do sales. So yeah, I write, uh, I spend between six and eight hours writing one long-form article every two weeks. Tell us about Orbit Media. Tell us about the types of, what's the ideal client for Orbit Media? Orbit's a web development company. We'll do 50 to 60 sites a year. Our, our audience tends to be mid-market. Our prospects are mid-market companies, probably, I don't know, established brands, 20 million in revenue or something like that. And uh, they, are, they have high expectations for results. They are pushing for, they're spending money on advertising or they're serious about digital. They've got two full-time marketers and a sales team. Because these are you know, it's 50 and 80 and $100,000 websites mostly. So yeah, we, we do high-end, high performance websites for brands that are active in digital. Do you have a life raft pro a product? No, you don't I, No. We, uh, have you thought about well, doing that. Well, we have a conference. It's on hold this year, but we have a conference that generates some revenue. Our content generates our, our marketing actually What's surprisingly the conference? makes it's called content jam. Okay. This is the eighth year. Uh, Jay would have been our speaker this year. Mark Schaefer was the keynote last year and Handley was the keynote the year before. Uh, we have, um, uh, but if you do content marketing long enough and hard enough, very strangely, it makes money. People will pay for your content. People buy the book. People pay to come to our conference. Uh, we have sellout events every month. Uh, they're all virtual now, so they've really changed. It's interesting. Oh, so you do sell. So you do have a life raft product. Do you do these virtual events? Well, those aren't a revenue gen virtual events aren't a revenue generator for us. You don't you don't charge admission to them. No, not for the virtual. They're Got just it. webinars. But but uh, Content Jam always did make a little bit of money uh, without that much effort. So if we ever wanted to get really serious about that, um, well, we're a service company. I grew up working in restaurants. I'm a service kid. I'm a teacher. Uh, it strikes me as just the killer textbook. How's it doing in schools? Is it getting is it getting used in higher ed? It is. Yeah, yeah. I haven't promoted it that well as such. It's mostly a leave behind in sales, but yeah, there are lots of universities that use it. When I remember to, and I see someone on LinkedIn that mentions, or that I, if I interact with a with a, a professor on LinkedIn, I will sometimes uh, send them a direct. This is content promotion. Send them a direct message. Uh, ask if they have a copy of the book or if they would like one. If they say yes, I, I drop one in the mail. I have a pile of envelopes. There we go. See that right mm -hmm. there? And that, that is a short pile of books and there's a little pile of envelopes underneath it. So it, with very little uh, um, motivate, uh, you know, trigger, I will send that book to any professor. If anyone here would like to uh, teach at a school and would look for a content marketing textbook, uh, find me on LinkedIn, send me a message and I'll, I'll send you a book. Cool. Yeah. Um, I'm serious, man. I'm thinking for some of my clients, I would, I would totally buy this book and send it to them just to save myself some breath, you know? 
I mean, it's, there's so much stuff that's handled in here and explained that would save any content marketer or digital marketer or PR person a lot of time. Thanks for saying um, that, Eric. I, yeah, I think it's a, I, I, I tore through it over the weekend and I tweeted about it too. I put a few pictures on Twitter and I don't know if you saw any of them, but I tweeted those uh, charts that we looked at, mm. you know, the, the photos of those um, and actually got some pretty good engagement. Um, so I want to talk about, um, we're going to be dark next week. The week after that, we are coming back with a state of the travel PR business panel. It's organized by Joel Kamen of TGM Communications in Orlando. And we've got a, a, a panel that includes uh, Trevor Marshall. She's the president of TGM Communications. We have uh, uh, Carol Monroe. She's a senior director, global brand communities for Hilton. And then we've got Brittany Geerton. She is communications and content manager for Visit Sarasota County. So it's be really interesting to sort of talk to them about what's happening in the travel sector. When is that business coming back? What do they yeah. expect there? What type of communications? What does travel as an industry look like? So I'm really excited about that. So that'll be two Wednesdays from now. As we said, we're gonna be dark next Wednesday. Um, I wanna thank uh, our two sponsors, Flux Branding a world-renowned resource for defining your visual brand. Flux Branding is a group of creative visionaries and graphic designers dedicated to helping clients build brand identities. And you can visit them at ericschwartzman.com forward slash Flux Branding and Digital Dragon, where children can develop the skills they need to prosper in the age of machines. Digital Dragon teaches digital literacy to tomorrow's programmers. And there's more information on that at ericschwartzman.com forward slash DD. Um, also, if you want my free basics of SEO for PR course, uh, you could get that at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEO class. Um, if you don't know the basics of SEO, shame on you. Now's the time. It's a free class. Uh, you can tear through it. It's pretty entertaining. It's live video with graphics and everything. And it's at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEO class. Um, if you're watching on Periscope, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, you can ask questions and participate in the chat on Wednesdays by signing up at prtechwednesdays.com. Um, and if you sign up and you miss it, you'll get an email with a replay uh, of the guests. You can listen to it at, at your own pace. If you're subscribing on iTunes or Spotify, help us grow the community by leaving a review or subscribing. Um, Tell us if uh, Andy, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, as I mentioned, I write an article every two weeks. I'll get my best advice once every two weeks at orbitmedia.com. On the blog, you can sign up there. Uh, LinkedIn is probably my best social network. So find me on LinkedIn, connect with me. You can skip, there's like a follow button. You can skip, go to more, click to connect, and then ask me anything. Cool. Well, thanks for generously sharing your, uh, you know, 20 years of experience with us today. Um, if you want to sign up for bonus content that I only share with people who subscribe to my blog, you can do that at ericschwartzman.com forward slash blog. This has been Eric Schwartzman, and we will see you.